Blog Talk Radio. Who is January Jones? She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, the 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome and remember, beware, because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Have you ever wondered how some people seem to be able to make money, help others, and you can't? Are you asking how you can help others and make money too? Do you wish you knew how to stop whining and turn your life around? Would you like more people who are winners instead of whiners in your life? Are you ready to hear about one young man's exciting adventures, making money and sharing his wealth? If you can answer yes or maybe to any of these questions, I'm January Jones, the wine tester, inviting you to enjoy my show today with the topic, Thou Shalt Not Wine About Making Money, featuring an amazing book titled, You Call the Shots, Succeed Your Way and Live the Life You Want. I'm your winologist host, and I want you to enjoy an exciting educational experience today. My guest is 23-year-old Cameron Johnson, who you may know from Oprah's show called The Big Gift. Cameron is definitely not a whiner. He's a real winner. Welcome, Cameron, and I'm so happy to have you on our show. Thank you, January. It's great to be here on the line with you. I'm one of your biggest fans. And I've been and I've been pouting ever since you didn't win in the finals. Well, thank you. That's very flattering. <laughs> it was a wonderful show, and what a great opportunity to get to uh, meet you and uh, share your adventures. Could you tell my listeners? Let's start at the very beginning. Where were you born? Sure, I was uh, born and raised in Roanoke, Virginia, which is in Southwest Virginia. Uh huh. And. You know, I started my first business when I was nine years old. I, um, <laughs> I saw that. You know, I went on your website, and I watched your video that you made when you were nine years old, and I, I just fell in love with it. It is just, oh just, <laughs> just, I'm a grandmother, so for me, that was just fabulous. Um, and then talk about when you were seven. What were you selling out of your little red wagon? Yeah, well, when I was seven, you know, I was always kind of the entrepreneurial type. I would sell anything that was put in front of me. So when I was seven years old, uh, my grandparents had a farm, and I would take tomatoes that were, you know, homegrown from our farm, and I would sell uh-huh. them door-to-door to our neighbors in the neighborhood. <laughs> now, are you an only child? I am not. I have a, a younger sister 
who is six years younger. She's uh, 17 now. Okay, okay. And so now your first uh, video that I watched, you were selling uh, stationery. Now, how did you ever come up with this sort of an idea when you were nine years old? Well, it was really the simplest idea, and that's because when I finally got access to a computer and a printer in, uh -huh. in our home when I was nine, we had software that was already preloaded on the computer called, like, Print Shop Deluxe okay, that would let right. you, you know, print all these different things. So yeah. it was kind of like... You know, I had the ability to easily use this software because it was easier for me to figure out than, you know, my parents or my grandparents or uh -huh. my uncles or neighbors or anyone. So what I would do is I, I printed all these different things the first day I got the computer. And I showed <laughs> it to my mom, and she said, well, those are fantastic. She sent the invitations to our holiday party that we're having in a few weeks. Right. <laughs> and, you know, my first reaction what? off the top of my head was, sure, if you pay me. <laughs> So, literally, that's how I got started, and, uh -huh. you know, she paid me $15 or whatever it was for that very first sale, and then, you know, on the back of those greeting cards or those invitations, uh -huh. just like Hallmark does, I printed, printed by Cameron Johnson. Oh. When they came, came to the party, obviously knew they were printed by the Johnson son. Right. And it was sort of the talk of the party, and then that led to more business, and then ultimately it led to that, a newspaper story, and then ultimately that, that video you saw, which right. was on our CBS uh -huh. station. Uh -huh. And, you know, it's kind of... Uh, so there you were at nine years old already starting to be a, a little uh, mini mogul celebrity. <laughs> um, now, you, and you loved, you loved selling raffle tickets. <laughs> exactly. Well, what they would do is at our school as a uh -huh. fundraiser, yeah. they would have all the students in the school go and sell raffle tickets. And, you know, they would then have, you know, a local company or something donate whatever that prize would be. So uh -huh. we would go out and sell raffle tickets. And when I was in the fourth grade... I sold more than 2,000 raffle tickets, oh and I sold more than anyone else. You know, and even I was competing against seniors in high school because our school went K through 12. And I, was, I beat all the seniors. I beat everyone, and there I was in the fourth grade. Who did you? Who were you selling tickets to? What were you doing? Were you on everyone? The, <laughs> were you doing this on the internet or just in no, person? No, on the internet at the time. What I would do is. Um, when I went door to door, instead of asking my customers to buy one, uh -huh. I would encourage them to buy five or ten. Oh, and, and then see. in addition, I would go to my mom's place of work, my dad's place of work, uh -huh. and uh -huh. I would literally you know, <laughs> beg people and show them, you know, hey, what's it cost? There's $2 a piece. Give me $10 and you get five chances at winning whatever the prize was. Okay. Now the big question is how did you get this kind of DNA? Does your father sell? Does your mother sell? I mean, how did this happen? Where did well, it come from? Well, I think both. I think both my parents um, are business savvy. My mom's dad died when she was 14. Oh. He owned his own business and uh -huh. ultimately she graduated high school. She went off to college. She came back and she bought her mom out and ran that business and then she oh. sold it in the early 80s. But my mom obviously has you know, a little bit business acumen to herself. Right. And then my dad, on his side, my great-grandfather, back in the 1930s, started a Ford dealership. Oh, And it okay. has remained in our family ever since, and my dad's the chairman of that. Um, so we definitely have, I guess, I come from a business-minded background. Right. But in many ways, they, you know, discouraged my businesses. Um, or I should say they always gave me the encouragement, uh -huh. you know, to do whatever it is I was passionate about. But, but you know, as I got older, especially in the middle and high school years, uh -huh. um, you know, especially when I realized, you know, now I'm making real money, I'm probably going to be doing this when I'm older, uh, you know, I might skip college, 
that's yeah. when they, uh, I think, became concerned. Right. Now, did this, uh, your, this ability, did this separate you from other children? Were you able to uh, do sports and uh, participate in other things, or were you Yes, kind totally. Of... It's funny because when uh-huh. you hear the story, you're, yeah. you picture this guy, you know, yeah. that's why I had to actually put my picture on the cover of my book. I know. <laughs> it was actually just for the reason that I'm not like this computer nerd that right. there with glasses, because yeah. I actually know very little about the Internet today. I mean, I can't design a web a website. I can't do any of those things. Oh, really? I've been able to find the talent to help me, and right. I've always believed in finding people better than yourself, at least of the skills, you know, where you need to. Uh, well, that's what I love seeing your book and seeing your picture, because you look less, just so normal. You're kind of like a Norman <laughs> Rockwell type kid. And then when I watched the show and saw your gorgeous girlfriend, I thought, wow, what a great couple. <laughs> <laughs> now, when did you have your first checking account? How old were you when you did that? And that, I think, is really important turning point, too, and that was uh-huh. when I was 10 years old. 10 years and old. The reason for that um, was because my customers were having to write checks to me in cash. They were having to write checks to my parents. Okay. So, Mom, Dad, why can't I get my own checking account so they can write checks to me? Right. You know, and the easy answer, I think a lot of times, uh, whether it's with parenting or whether it's with running a business, it's easy to say no. And uh-huh. I've always been one that tries to find a yes. Okay. So even like when people ask me to help them with something or try and do something, you know, obviously within reason I try and do that. Um, but I've always been one to, to say yes creates more opportunities for I, both of us. Isn't that so us. true? And I wish more young people would go through life like that because I've always felt the same way. Uh, yes is a can-do attitude, and it makes life so much more interesting. <laughs> and exactly. You never a, know where it's going to lead. Right, and it's such a positive thing. And it kind of once you say that first yes, it, it seems to take on a life of its own. I agree. And, you know, to back to your, to your original question, uh-huh. I played sports my entire life. Yeah. I played baseball, basketball. I played soccer even throughout high school. Okay. Um, you know, I had really a girlfriend growing up. I, uh, uh-huh. you know, was in the Boy Scouts. I literally had a very normal life because my businesses, they were all basically web-based. So okay. I never, you know, obviously... Had to go to work. Store. I never, yeah, I never yeah. went to work. Yeah. <laughs> it's something I would do, like, literally extremely late at night from like 10 p.m. until 2 a.m., uh-huh. four hours a day almost. I would run these different businesses that I created, right. and I would never tell anyone about them. Oh, so okay. It was totally a hobby, and I think because I, you know, did it for fun. You stayed under the radar. It, well, exactly that, and then also I think I was even more successful at doing it because I was passionate about it. I never, you know, uh-huh. needed to do it, and I was never forcing myself. Right. I only did what I wanted to do, I guess. Yeah, you didn't have to put food on the table. And I was impressed that uh, you learned very early about tithing and mm-hmm. donating to your, uh, was this your church that you Right, uh, I started uh, tithing the church when I was 10. 10. Oh, mm-hmm. that's wonderful. What an amazing experience. And uh, none of your friends realized what you were up to? No, I mean, it wasn't until I was 15, and then I became an advisory board member to a Japanese-based company. Right. I had a best-selling book in Japan. I know. I, that, that blew me away, because being an author myself, I know how difficult it is to get a best-selling book, and there you were at 15, yes. having this happen in your life. Let me ask you, now, did you buy, when did you buy your first car? My first car? Um, uh-huh. When I was in high school, you know, normal age, when I was... Uh, 
in 17, or 16, 17. Okay. My dad, remember, owns a Ford dealership. So. Oh, oh, silly me. What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up all the time. And I'm, not, I'm not the flashy type, you know, either, even today. Good. Um, you know, I drive uh, an Explorer that I bought, you know, a couple of years ago. And, right. Uh, you know, yeah, you gotta, are not really, they don't have much meaning to me other than a mode of transportation. Very good. And I, I, that's, I'm happy to hear that. And you know, Ford does a wonderful hybrid. So they do. <laughs> yes. Hybrid's unbelievable. We can do a commercial for them anytime. <laughs> Cameron Johnson, who is an amazing young man with an incredible vision. He is the author of the best-selling book called You Call the Shots, Succeed Your Way and Live the Life You Want which, Cameron, you certainly are doing. And could you tell us about your experience with your bestseller in Japan? How sure, did that, that come actually, about? This is a funny story because actually <laughs> I got an email and I was attending a boarding school at the time, and it was from the CEO of a Tokyo-based company who was inviting me to come to Japan um, to basically join their advisory board. <laughs> <laughs> and Wow. And you were how old? I was 15. 15, okay. And I forwarded the email to my dad, and, you know, because I was a minor, obviously, a parent would have to go with me. Right. He wrote back, and he said, you know, I'll believe it when I see two plane tickets to Japan. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's a pretty valid point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, okay. Halfway around the world, and he sent me this letter, you know, uh-huh. simple email. Well, uh-huh. sure enough, a week later, two first-class plane tickets oh, oh my worth $19,000. They show up at my dad's house, and now obviously oh. he knows this is for real. Now you've got his attention. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Now we, like, know when we're going, uh-huh. we're getting there. And, uh, you know, then there's, like, this full seven-day itinerary. And the only reason I was able to go is because it coincided with my spring break. Oh, my how freshman year in high school. How lucky was that? Yeah, it was perfect. And, and when we got to Japan, uh-huh. I was bombarded by the media, and they had basically spent a lot of money promoting me over there because here's this young American entrepreneur, uh-huh. and this company's mission was to get computer systems into the schools in Japan. Oh, perfect. So they said, what better way than to highlight, you know, uh, young Americans' accomplishments, I guess. And, you know, all the while, everyone's thinking that all the American schools probably have all these computers. and, and Exactly. We always thought that we were behind them. However, you know, even though maybe a lot of the technology is developed there, uh-huh. it's really cost prohibitive to get it in all the school systems over there. Oh, I see. Now, um, Obviously, you didn't speak Jap- Jap- Japanese. No, no, I didn't. I didn't at all. And I had a translator, and I was doing a lot of speaking engagements all around, like, literally the country in this very first week over there. Uh-huh. And at the very end, I was approached by a best-selling author who said, I'd love to take your entire story and ghostwrite a biography book on your life. Oh, a biography. Okay. And I said, well, what do I have to lose? I'm 15. You know, I a, <laughs> yeah, I'm 15. I don't have a book in Japan. I don't have a book anywhere. I said, sure, let's do it. So we went through, you know, uh-huh. days of interviews, about two days, solid straight. And he pumped out a 185-page book, and I went back. And I was just 15. And uh-huh. then he went back. And we went back three months later for a book tour, uh-huh. And the book made it to number four on the bestseller list, and literally I couldn't walk down the streets without being recognized, and we'd have tam- uh, camera crews following us everywhere. It was quite the surreal experience for Well, us. there you were, a celebrity in a country where you didn't even speak the language. And every, And every, what a strange, that must have been so strange to have <laughs> everyone know who you were. You can imagine. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, other, the flip side of that is I didn't have to really worry about being embarrassed or anything else. Because uh-huh. then I could come back to America and live, obviously, a normal life where, 
you know, if I didn't have news footage and everything else of all of the uh-huh. clips from over there, then my friends would never even believe it happened. But, yeah, it's, it's totally surreal for a 15-year-old to come back and say, oh, I have this other life in Japan <laughs> where I'm a celebrity. Now, when you were in Japan, did the other teenagers in Japan follow you around and try to get your autograph? And- oh, yeah, and they, you know, they have, like, picture booths on every corner. They have uh-huh. cameras, and we would, like, I would be pulled into these picture booths, and I would take pictures with them. Oh, and, my you know, God. I really didn't even know what was going on or what to think. And they told me, one radio station, I was doing a radio, I did almost 60 interviews in one week. I mean, you can just imagine how. I can, I, oh, I can totally relate to that. Wow. And one was an in-studio uh, uh-huh. radio interview. Uh-huh. And they said, you know, they asked me, like, uh, a song to play or something. And I was like, I don't know, Mariah Carey is really big, play that. Yeah. And they told me that I'm bigger in Japan, or at least then, <gasps> I was bigger in Japan than Mariah Carey. Oh, my gosh. I, it was a wonder your head didn't explode. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's like, it's funny. I mean, obviously, that was a little surreal experience. And then yeah. I was fortunate I was able to come back to the real world. But yeah. yeah. It was, uh, you know, something, obviously, that I'll never forget. Although it also makes me appreciate you know, being humble and being down to earth and living a normal life here it yeah. makes it so much more valuable. Because, you know, people don't realize how invasive uh, it is for celebrities and how uncomfortable day in, day out that, that kind of life and that attention can be. You sacrifice your entire life. I mean, Absolutely. there's, no, you know, there's yeah. no personal private life. When we come back, we're going to talk about your new celebrity experience on Oprah's show, The Big Give. Uh, this is January Jones. Thou shalt not whine, the 11th commandment. Could you tell my listeners about your website and where they can find your books and some more information about you, Cameron? Sure. Well, I have a website. It's called uh, CameronJohnson.com. Go figure. <laughs> www.CameronJohnson.com. Uh-huh. And then my book is available in pretty much any bookstore, um, and it's called You Call the Shots. And the whole reason I wrote the book was basically because I had so many young people reaching out to me you know, and either asking for how I got started or how they can get started. And I said, you know, the simplest thing I can do is to, to, to get a best-selling author, which I did, a co-author, to help me write it. Uh-huh. And uh, we put this book together, and, you know, Donald Trump has endorsed it, Mark Victor Hansen from the I, Chicken Soup series. Right. I was, I've had some great – we had so many, you know, CEOs and business people and authors endorse it that we couldn't even fit them all on the back cover. So it's very that, flattering. Oh, that's and wonderful. It's done very well, but the only reason I wrote it was to inspire others and – you know, from the emails I received, it seems like it's doing that. And what's really special about this book is that it really uh, it reaches a couple it reaches a couple different generations because parents uh-huh. love love it because right. it maybe helps them guide their own kids, and then kids love it because they can relate because you know I'm pretty close to their age. Exactly. And then also business people and entrepreneurs love it, so it's a really rare combination, I think. Yeah. Um, simply because of my age. I know. And then, and then most recently, I've launched. Um, uh, a website called MillionaireSecrets.com, okay. and that right now is a free website that just gives people tools for you know different things, how to find a simple way to start a website. Okay, and then you give a free chapter. I do. I give a free chapter download. And uh, then you also share 19 secrets. Mm-hmm. The book is the 19 essential secrets of entrepreneurship, and the way it's actually broken down is each uh, secret is a chapter title. Oh, okay. So the first one is called Put Yourself Out There. And that's really the most important chapter because if you're not willing to put yourself out there, then, you know, you're never going to find success and you're just going to follow whatever path people guide you down. So I think all, each of the chapters, you know, one is called Find Great Mentors. Right. Um, one is called Adapt or Die, and that can be related to a personal life or it can be related to a business. If your business doesn't change to both what your customers want but also what your competition is doing, then your business will die. 
and uh, you know it goes through a lot well, of different things. I read your book and I was fascinated, and it was so much fun to read, knowing and being a fan of yours, and seeing you out on the front line, and listening to the secrets and the advice that you're so willing to share, and it's things that you hear before, but you have a, you have a new voice. Well, thank you. I try to relate everything to right. you know, a story that I experienced firsthand. Yeah, um, I mean, people get tired of hearing, like, you know, the uh, older generation, the uh, uh, the millionaires uh, group giving advice. It's so refreshing to get uh, an insight from someone who's 23 years old. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks very much. It makes it very doable for uh, young people. Uh, I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful book, and I recommend it highly to all my listeners. I also recommend it to uh, grandmothers like myself and parents. It might be a book that you might want to share with uh, your young children or your teenagers or kids in college or anyone for that matter. Uh, Now could you tell us a little bit, how did you get on The Big Give? Did you audition or how did that come about? Well, it's funny. The Big Give was uh, obviously a great, great uh, experience for me. We know probably one of my most proud accomplishments of right. the um, But I actually was fortunate enough that they had seen me or heard of me when my book was just coming out. Okay. And, uh, you know, I got hooked up that way, although ultimately I went through the same audition process and, you uh-huh. know, had to pass the same criteria as everyone else. Um, but, you know, I think what they were looking for were 10 totally different people uh-huh. with totally different backgrounds and totally different stories. Yeah. And that's why my story, you know, kind of fit in because I was that young business guy. Yeah. And that was my role, I guess, on the show. Absolutely. Your story was so unique and what I, I just enjoyed so much uh, watching every uh, Sunday was that you kind of kept a very low profile <laughs> and you weren't in anyone's face. And, uh, but it, you could always see you in the background going to the computer. <laughs> and I knew you were doing something very big and very important. And, uh, and, and, and eventually it would surface. And uh, you pretty much were behind most of the big successes on the series. Well, thank you. I, I, you know, I would probably agree with that, but um, <laughs> you know, my my biggest focus was to to not really, you know, cause any issues with anyone else, right. and to only focus on whatever it is I can do to help the people who we were helping, because yeah. that was the whole purpose of the show. You know, the purpose of the show, obviously, you put any type of different personalities together, there's going to be conflict, uh-huh. and you know couple that with the fact that we've been on the road for a number of weeks. And well, now, how many weeks, how many weeks did it take and how many cities? What did this whole show? Uh, the whole thing was about eight cities and it was a 10 week process. Oh my gosh. Um, so you're talking about, you know, you know, no personal phone, no personal computer, nothing oh, like that. You're kidding. There's no contact with the outside world. Oh, I didn't um, know that. That's so you basically <gasps> solely focused on, you know, kind of helping the people. And, and at first, I'll admit, the first week was like one of the hardest things I've ever done, being without a cell phone or a computer. <laughs> um, but ultimately, it was kind of uh, really refreshing, you know, by uh-huh. the second weekend. And by the third weekend, I was totally focused on, you know, what I was trying to accomplish. And um, It's almost yeah. like you uh, went into a retreat. Exactly. It's almost like, hey... Uh, you know, you sign up for, you know, a couple months of your life, you know, and then by ultimate point, you, you know, because someone's sent home each week, uh-huh. you don't want to be the one sent home. Right. You're, out, you're competing with each other to outgive one another. I mean, it's really a revolutionary concept. Uh-huh. And I think that's why so many people, you know, fell in love with the show was because we were real people. Right. And, um, 
you know, we all came from different backgrounds, and uh, we all brought something unique and different to the table. Oh, and all the stories were so wonderful that uh, everyone was able to share with the uh, audience. What, in your opinion, uh, when you look back on those long, long, ten wonderful weeks, what was the very best experience that you had personally during this time? Um, the, the best experience probably for me was, um, I mean, if I had to narrow it down to a specific episode, it would have been the New York City episode when we were assigned a couple different uh, dreams to pull off. Uh-huh. And I kind of took it upon myself. One family had a whopping mortgage that right. um, the father, he was a father of three daughters. He was only three, 33 years old. Oh, I know. The second time. My challenge was to pay off his entire mortgage. And basically, I wasn't allowed to use my contacts, and I had to do it in 72 hours. You're kidding. You weren't allowed to use your own contacts. Because, you know, it it wouldn't really be fair if I've got, if I know Donald Trump prior to the show and I know some really big names, it wouldn't be fair if I could just pick up the phone and call those people. Okay, so who were you calling then? Well, the first thing I did was I called the mortgage company, Uh and I got them to discount the mortgage by Um, Uh $75,000. Now, when you called them, did you say you were part of the show? Um, we could we could always say we were part of the show, but we could never use you know Oprah's name or anything oh, like that. And okay. we couldn't tell them you know what network and things like that it was going to air on because you got to remember people know what the big give is now, but we did all this a year ago. Oh, so okay. it wasn't necessarily pretty. It wasn't necessarily easy to pull off. Because um, that's you know, why there was so much secrecy then. There was. There was a huge amount. And, um, you know, also I got Ford Motor Company to, to give the family a brand new truck. Uh-huh. And I got a lot of other things for that particular episode. And then Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, Will Smith's wife yes. set up and helped us with a large amount of money, and it turned out that not only did we pay off their entire mortgage, uh-huh. um, but we were able to set up college funds for each right. of the daughters. Oh, I, and know. I mean, when you when you just look at that, you're like, you know, wow. Wow. I did that. You know, I'm like, wow. I was a part of this. You know, we were a team, and of course, Jada helped. But uh-huh. I mean, just the 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 mere joy and handing someone a piece of paper that tells them their mortgage is paid off. And, and, you know, you see the family come together and the tears. Oh, the tears and, and the way the, the emotions were so real. You can't, yeah. you know, those are the kind of things you can't fake. And what a wonderful feeling that must have been. Um, now, when you look back on it, what was the hardest thing, aside from obviously being away from your family? That must have been very difficult. What was the hardest uh, thing that you accomplished while you were on this show? Um, well, the hardest thing I would say, well, in one episode... Um, there were seven of us left, and each person, we were in Miami, each person was given $100,000 in cash and given 24 hours to get rid of it. Oh. And <laughs> I live a pretty frugal lifestyle. So, yeah. I mean, especially when I've got the, these billionaires, the Maloof brothers, handing me $100,000 that's their money, uh-huh. um, you know, I'm going to be pretty careful about how I spend it, you know, because I want to give it to the most deserving people possible. Right. So, I mean, that it sounds like it's really easy. Let's just go throw money out in the street. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you got to be somewhat strategic about it. Uh-huh. And, you know, in that episode, for instance, there was only one person, Steve, who was able to get rid of all of their money. Yeah. Um, and all the other six of us didn't didn't really come close. I got uh-huh. rid of 70,000. But, but I mean, you know, I wish I had just a few more hours where I could have given away more money. Oh, that, that that's, um, that's surreal. That's almost yeah. as surreal as your experience in um, Japan. Uh, <laughs> I know it is. Like, how many people are going to have the opportunity to go? And, you know, maybe if you win the lottery, you could create that opportunity for yourself. But right. how many people... You know, I mean, billionaires don't even do that. I guess they could, obviously, but it was really a great feeling. Oh, what was so cute about the show, I I particularly loved it. Whenever they would do something, whenever Oprah would 
have a helicopter pick you up or do, do something so totally extraordinary. The expression on your face was amazing. Well, that was the thing is that we never knew what was next. Uh-huh. So we didn't even know what city we were going to next until we got to the airport. Oh, you're kidding. Um, no, I mean, it, and that's obviously so, you know, you don't have an unfair advantage. So right. That you don't start thinking two missions ahead because you might not even make it two missions ahead. Oh, my um, gosh. So you, we literally didn't even know what's coming next ever. Like, it's not like they give you a schedule on the first day and these are the eight cities you're going to. We would always have to play a guessing game and, uh-huh. um, you know, it wasn't very, it was very stressful. There was more strategy than meets the eye. <laughs> yeah, somewhat more strategy, but at the same time, um, you know, I guess the best strategy, at least what I thought would be my best strategy, would be to stay out of the fray, to mm-hmm. stay, you know, yeah. fly under the radar and just pull off the most stuff and exactly. uh, you know, connect with the families in the best way. That's what yeah. I tried to do. Because it, it truly was a turnoff when you would uh, watch the contestants having these uh, petty little uh, disagreements or whatever, and it, it, it you almost were offended because you felt like, well, maybe they think they have to make good television by having conflict. And no, I don't think that was it. I, mean, I don't think that they tried to do it that way either. I think it just it, happened. It, it didn't come across this way, but right, that's uh-huh. just the way it happened, and that's real life. Um, and see, people know. don't realize that you were all in such close quarters, and right. you know, I don't think the viewer realized you had been so isolated. Right, and you know, all that kind of gets to you, but you also just have different ideas and. Uh, you know, when you come from different backgrounds, so we all kind of tackle challenges differently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was always the one kind of just like hit the ground running. Let's just do it. Let's figure it out. Let's just whatever. Let's throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what sticks. And you look and, so comfortable um, in each e- episode when you, because all I could see you with was your computer and your cell phone. <laughs> well, that's all I needed. So they ga- obviously they gave it back to you for the show. Well, they, gave, they, they gave each person a production, you know, like a, a computer that they. It wasn't our personal one, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, you know, Google definitely played a huge help because I was able to look up, you know, even maps. I mean, you're not uh-huh. even given a GPS system. So, oh, oh my so gosh! Maps, you know, came in handy when I could get a map a lot quicker than other contestants, or I could hit the ground running and get someone's phone number by looking it up on, you know, the mobile web on our phone, oh. or like doing all the tech. Technology definitely helped me out. You were definitely, you must have been for quite a period of time in uh, technology withdrawal. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was. I was. I'd only have it for a few hours a day. It was, oh. <laughs> uh, it was like a tease. Oh, my gosh. We want to thank you for listening to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. Always remember Ms. Jones' personal mantra, if you can think it, you can do it. That's what all of our guests have done with their lives, and so can you. You are the ultimate success coach in your own life. All you need to do will be to start sharing your own story with your family and friends. We hope that our guest stories will encourage you to explore an equation in your future that will combine your creativity, plus connecting with others will enable you to be successful too. Always remember, your passion plus your purpose will equal prosperity as you explore the wonderful world of January Jones.